presented by Maya Strategy Group, a leading market research and strategy consulting firm, helping clients in the pet care and animal health industries navigate strategic challenges for almost two decades. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pet Working. I'm Peter Kenseth, Vice President of Maya Strategy Group, and uh, here today with Julie Chen, Head of Strategy uh, at A Better Treat. Uh, Julie is also a registered diet dietitian and has a master's in nutrition um, in the human health space and uh, has recently entered into the world of pet care um, as, as one of the, uh, the two uh, first employees of uh, Better Treat, who we saw at uh, Global Pet. Um, Really excited to have uh, Julie on. We've been talking a lot about nutrition uh, recently. So um, getting perspective uh, from somebody who has a background in, in the human nutrition space and how that applies to, to pet food, uh, as well as getting some perspective here today uh, from somebody who's uh, launched a, a brand in the, uh, the pet space and, and can speak to some of the challenges behind that and getting into the market and, uh, and navigating those circumstances. Uh, so Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us on Pet Working, and uh, we're really happy to have you. Thanks, Peter. So happy to be here. Right. Now, Julie, maybe, you know, for there's lots of brands in the pet space. And, uh, you know, I, th I think um, for people unlike myself who who don't uh, follow this market uh, for their day to day uh, employment, it can be kind of overwhelming with all the options that are out there. Um, so many people uh, probably have not heard of a better treat. Um, and, and obviously, you're a new brand in a, in a space with lots of brands. Can you Give us a little bit of background. Talk to us about the company. What were your motivations for starting the company? Um, and you know, how have you found the experience? Uh, you know, in, in the time that that you guys have been in business. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so, a better treat is a family-owned business out of Los Angeles, California. We make. Um, treats and dog foods, treats for dogs and cats. They're single ingredient, freeze-dried raw, and the way that we differentiate ourselves is in our sourcing. So wild-caught, organic, free-range, grass-fed. And then we also have a dog food line with high-protein kibble and freeze-dried pieces mixed in for a visual but also nutritional benefit as well. So as you can probably tell, we are very big believers in freeze-dried raw nutrition, which Super excited to be able to talk about that more. But in terms of the inspiration for our launch, uh, as I mentioned, we are a family-owned business. It's truly family-owned. Um, it was my cousin, Forrest, who started the business, and then I joined in shortly after. Uh, but I feel like it gives me an extra special view on the inspiration uh, behind the launch. Boris, we were very close growing up basically like almost brother-sister relationship. We lived together for a while too growing up. So very, very close in terms of cousins. Um, and funny enough, Boris did not have a pet growing up. Uh, did not actually think he would be a pet person at all. He never really, at least to me, showed any interest in having a pet. And then later on in life, when he became an adult, he got his first dog, Emmy. And when I tell you it was a complete 180, I was kind of blown away by how much he ended up loving Emmy. Total dog dad, treats her like 
100% his baby and calls her that all the time. And that's really like the spirit of a better treat is just our love for our pets and wanting to create the healthiest products possible so that they can live with us longer. Uh, um, Boris has always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I think it kind of runs in our family. So wanting to meld something that we feel incredibly passionate about and kind of the American dream of starting your own company and wanting to put that together in a better treat. So. It, it's funny. You, I, I felt like you were telling a bit of my own story there as you were talking <laughs> about Boris. I, I also did not have a dog uh, growing up. Uh, Peony right here is, uh, is the first dog I had. We've had her almost seven years now. And um, I, I cannot tell you the, I mean, she completely changed my life. It's, 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 you know, it's amazing the power of, uh, you know, that, that pets have on, on our day-to-day -day experience, uh, you know, dogs, particularly for me, but I know a lot of people feel the same way about their cats and, and, uh, you know, it, it's a, um, you know, she's the only other than a bird when I was in high school, she's the only pet I've ever had, but I really, I can't imagine life without her. And, and I, you know, um, for me, I did not start a pet food company. I got into consulting in the pet food space instead. Um, and, and I was consulting, you know, before I had peony, but everything, uh, about my work, uh, changed when I got her because it became that much more real. Uh, you know, all the consulting I've done in, in the animal health space, it, you know, seeing it, as a pet parent at the vet completely changed, you know, going to super zoo and global pet and looking at different pet foods. When you're looking at it through the lens of being a pet parent, it completely changes. And, and I think there are so many people that are inspired to do something, um, in, in the pet food space, um, in the animal health space because of the powerful, positive personal experiences that, that they've had with their dog, uh, or cat. Now, how about you, Julie? Did you, you mentioned Boris didn't have any pets growing up. Have you been a lifelong pet owner or how, how did, how did you get pulled into the, uh, the better treat, uh, venture? Yeah. So, uh, I did have a dog growing up. Her name was Zena. She was a white little dog, which I don't know if you know, like for some reason, Asian people tend to have a lot of the white little dogs. It's like the, the pet of choice or the dog of choice. Um, but Funny enough, she lived up to her uh, name, Xena, like the warrior princess. She was so strong, even though she was so little. And she like could outrun any of the big dogs, super just like passionate around that. I remember we would like run around the neighborhood when she got out and it just turned into like a whole neighborhood affair where all the kids would just go chasing after her. Um, <laughs> she was super quick and just super loving. And then I got my dog Kai uh, after college. He is now a almost nine-year-old Black Lab Black Lab Mix Rescue. And he's kind of my first like personal pet as opposed to the family pet. And so yeah. having him has been such a wonderful journey. I think, you know, it kind of, I know it's probably cliche at this point, but when people say like your pets are basically your kids, it really is like that. And I just, I feel like when you have a pet, it puts so much more context and like passion to what you're doing. And so in terms of me getting into the pet industry, my background, as you mentioned, was in healthcare. So I have my 
master's in nutrition. I'm also a registered dietitian. And I practiced as a registered dietitian for a number of years and then kind of moved towards um, healthcare operations. I really wanted to make a difference in terms of not just individually, but kind of systemically in a company. And that's kind of where my path took me, um, which was incredible. But uh, I think like a lot of healthcare professionals, it can be a little bit taxing. And so I wanted to do something where kind of refreshed my passion for what I do on a day-to-day basis. And so knowing what Boris was doing, I was just super excited to be able to hop on, learn more, and kind of utilize my knowledge in nutrition and health and apply it to our pets and creating products that would be great for them. So kind of fit together in terms of just the overall like wellness piece of it. And surprisingly, while they're not the same as humans by any means, there are a lot of the same guiding principles. And what I found really interesting is that a lot of the trends in the human health space also kind of trickles down in the pet health space shortly after. So there are a lot of uh, similarities in that point. Oh, yeah. No, I I mean, I I think in all my years of consulting, I, you know, the guiding principle I found for for pet care and and for animal health in a lot of ways is, you know, if if it's a a trend in in human food, it will eventually make its way in pet food. If it's a trend in human medicine, it will eventually make its way into animal medicine. Uh, you know, th- th- there's not a ton of differences. You know, to that note, Julie, I mean, how much, you know, were you able to leverage your background in, in nutrition and in dietary science to to guide the formulation of uh, some of the products and a better treats portfolio? How How involved with that were you? Yeah, so we actually formulated a lot of the time before I actually joined on. Um, but when Boris was starting his company, he definitely kind of tapped my brain in terms of questions and kind of getting some insight on that. And so really happy to have partnered with a PhD in animal nutrition specifically to help really formulate the best formula for pets with our dog food. Um There are similarities, as we mentioned, but the macronutrient percentages are different between humans and pet health. And so we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, following the best practices in terms of guidelines and the most, um, I guess, most recent studies around like, you know, grain free or no grain. There's just a lot of similar to human nutrition. There's a lot of like, not only trends, but also some misinformation, unfortunately, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wanted to make sure that we were relying on the experts when formulating our our formula. Right. I I don't know if you can disclose who you worked with, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, the grain uh, versus grain free. And and I know, you know, that within the last five years, the DCM study has been, you know, a big flashpoint there, you know, when it first came out, uh, everybody wanted, you know, to move grain free was the the big trend and everybody wanted to move back to a grain inclusive diet. I kind of looked at the study when it came out and it was like, this is a sample of 500 dogs. You know, um, we're really going to react this strongly on the basis of one 500 dog study. And, you know, even within the study, they were able to pretty specifically link, um, 
dogs that had uh, DCM to specific brands of grain-free food. It wasn't all grain-free foods that were correlating to DCM. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'd be curious to get your perspective on that, where you guys, you know, settled out and, and you know, to the extent that you can talk about it, who you worked with to, to formulate the diet. Yeah, I don't have the the company off the top of my head. Um, but in terms of that decision, exactly what you're talking about in terms of the um, kind of cons to that study. Uh, I know as a pet consumer, before I joined the pet industry, I had heard about that study from my vet. And my vet at the time had recommended um, to switch the diet based off of that study. And as kind of any other consumer, I, I listened to my vet and I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and switch it out. And then interestingly enough, when I kind of dove into it a little bit more, exactly what you're talking about, the sample size wasn't very good. There were a lot of uh, variables in the study that I don't think were truly accounted for. Um, and then when we discussed with the uh, animal nutrition expert, to help us formulate it, we talked to her about the pros and cons of it. And, you know, I, I, I hate saying bad, but that's kind of where it led to. Like, I think a lot of people in the industry went towards um, changing the diet based off of that study. And I don't think that there was necessarily enough data to support that switch. And so for us, we wanted to not really follow kind of trends, but more so the scientific evidence around that. And based off of the recommendation of that PhD in animal nutrition, we did de we did decide to include grains into our formula. Um, it does not have any corn, soy, or wheat, which is typically used as like filler grains. Um, so instead we opted for more fiber rich grains like oats, barley, uh, brown rice, things of that nature. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it's so interesting because I had the same conversation with my vet and I looked at it. I was like, she's doing fine on a grain free diet. Like I don't, you know, this wasn't a brand that was listed in the the DCM study, I don't think grain is necessarily going to hurt her, but it seems a little reactionary that we're going to yeah. um, you know, leap to this. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the big things that really drove a lot of the grain inclusive diets is that you talk about the fillers, uh, a lot of the lower cost foods out in the market got a huge bump um, from the DCM study, because all of a sudden, you know, if you remember back at the time, the grain-free messaging was, you know, super prominent with Blue Buffalo um, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, mid to, to, you know, lesser premium diets that were using corn and other grains as, as fillers were able to be like, oh, grain inclusive and, you know, right. and get off from that. Um, I don't think that you know, it's necessarily settled one way or another. I think, you know, I, I, I think they're, like you said, there there could be benefits to ancient grains. There could be benefits to, um, you know, I just don't think that there. And and you know, I'd be curious to exactly what drove the recommendation of of the PhD that you worked with. But like, I think it it it's one of those things where 
we're still lacking a lot of data and lots of studies to concretely be able to say one way or another, this mm -hmm. is the best thing um, for, for your dog or your cat. Um, that being said, uh, we just had an episode um, with uh, Dr. James Templeman at Primal Pet Foods, and he was talking. We were talking about their releasing a series of three papers um, looking at the, the benefits uh, and the digestibility and uh, and the amino acid profiles in raw, frozen, uh, gently cooked, and freeze dried diets. And it's pretty exciting because it sounds like they're actually going to be able to put. Um, some scientific backing behind claims uh, of superiority uh, and nutritional benefit um, to freeze-dried, raw, gently cooked diet diets versus more processed diets like kibble. Um, and not to say that kibble doesn't have its place because economically, I don't, you know, I could not afford to feed peony as a 70-pound dog exclusively. Right on a, a raw or freeze-dried diet, but kind of like you're doing with your dog food, you know, even mixing in freeze-dried with kibble, um, Dr. Templeman and I were talking there, there's some real significant benefits there. And so I, I'd love to kind of get your take on how you arrived at, at the, uh, you know, freeze-dried inclusions. And, and you said you're pretty passionate about the benefits of freeze-dried yourself specifically. So I'd love to get your take there. Yeah, uh, you touched on a lot of really interesting points there. Uh, starting off with just the freeze-dried side of things, the reason why that we are super passionate about freeze-dried is because it does retain 61% more nutrients than cooked or baked alternatives. And it allows you to have a long shelf life without having any preservatives or additives. And to your point, I do think that raw nutrition, like totally raw, frozen raw, is a great way to feed your pet, but it's not necessarily sustainable for everyone, whether it's cost, whether it's the uh, cumbersome nature of it, whether it's, you know, if you're traveling around a lot, it's, you might not have a freezer big enough to be able to accommodate for your pet. So it can be really difficult. And so we opted for freeze dried because we felt that it was the best alternative that was shelf stable, that was a little bit more acceptable to people, um, especially as big dog owners myself. Uh, my dog is a black lab. Boris's dog is a, um, a labradoodle. So really bigger dogs and we wouldn't be able to necessarily afford or uh, be able to sustain raw nutrition completely. So wanting to find kind of a good balance between that, we opted for creating our product, which to your point, has freeze-dried inclusion. So our salmon formula has uh, freeze-dried wild-caught Alaskan salmon chunks with freeze-dried broccoli and air-dried carrots. And then our chicken formula has um, free-range chicken breast chunks. So just the difference in the formula. And I actually think that not only does it have a nutritional benefit, but it's really great for pickier eaters as well. So it does kind of serve a purpose if your pet might have a little bit more difficulty getting like their food down. It might be a good option because the freeze-dried inclusions does have a little bit more um, smell and excitement from your pet. And if you actually, you don't have to add water to our food, but if you want to add water 
to it and it can actually help increase the smell of it as well. Um, I know for me, Kai, even though he's a black lab, which you'd think he'd eat anything and everything under the moon, just given his breed. Um, he is a rescue and he's just had a lot of anxiety. And I think with breakfast feedings in particular, he's always had a harder time because back when, before I uh, went into the office, I would feed him and he would kind of associate his breakfast with me leaving. So uh -huh. his breakfast was always a huge undertaking for me to get him to eat before I left for work. I'd have to sit right next to him, pet him, make it seem like I was not going. And he would just like very slowly eat and look at me the entire time. And it was Aww. a total struggle. Um, so for him, actually switching over to our, a better dog food product has really been helpful because it kind of gets him more stimulated and excited to eat in the morning. And so it's really helped with that period of our lives where he was just always trepidatious about his breakfast and now he has no issues. So there are some also extra benefits on top of the nutritional benefits of freeze dried as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that it, I, I've definitely, um, you know, there were, a, there was a lot of messaging at super zoo around like, you know, different claims of feeding even at, you know, as little as 20% raw or freeze dried can have significant health benefits for your pet or, um, you know, and, and I came away from it. I'd included freeze dried for a while, but uh, you know, I'd always done like a can topper. And so I, I decided to switch to, um, a freeze dried and gravy topper. And it's made a huge difference in, in Peony's, uh, you know, desire to eat. Um, she's always been a very food driven dog, but as she's gotten older, there's definitely been periods where she hasn't been as into her food and she's running to her bowl, uh, again, every morning, she's very excited about eating. So I think, I mean, I think that's really cool. You see increased energy levels. Um, it, it definitely, you know, and it makes sense, right? You know, if we think about if all we ate was processed food, um, you know, you'd probably slow down a bit. Um, you know, yeah. I, I definitely all feel better when we eat, you know, a wholesome, natural diet. Not to say that you're not ever going to have processed food and that it's not going to be more convenient to have it from time to time. But that's kind of where you talk about with, with kibble, like it's very transportable. It's very stable and freeze dried is is the same way you know there's this trade off of cost convenience and and nutritional benefit um that i think you know we have to make in our own lives and when we're choosing what to feed our our pets um so it, it's it's great to see the number of options out there um now i know you also you talked about you know uh, one of your core differentiators being, you know, your sourcing and, and wild caught free range grass fed. Um, we've talked a lot on pet working, uh, it, and, and did an episode earlier this year on regenerative agriculture and the, uh, added nutrient, uh, benefits, the nutrient density of, um, produce that is raised on, on regenerative soils or livestock, um, that is raised on regenerative soils, fed, you know, re regeneratively uh, grown grass and things like that. Did that play into your your decision to to kind of take the more environmentally conscious, uh, ethically responsible sourcing? Um, or what? Talk to us a little bit about 
what what led you there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's twofold. Um, you know, to your point, you want to be able to have those healthy practices, especially as kind of a young brand as ourselves. We want to break the mold from traditional kind of sourcing practices that were not very um, sustainable. So that was a factor in choosing these higher quality sourcing methods. Um, and then on top of that, you know, both Boris and I, we're, we like to shop like that at the grocery store as well. So we wanted to be able to source the way that we personally like to shop for ourselves and giving pet parents an opportunity to be able to source that way when they buy our products. Um, and kind of going to the second point is it really is more of a nutrient dense product compared to like taking our grass fed beef liver, for example. Um, if you look at some studies around like regular beef liver versus grass fed beef liver, you're going to find that the grass fed beef liver actually has less fat, more protein and more omega threes than its non-grass-fed counterpart. So if you actually look at the nutrient density in the products that you're feeding, you'd be kind of surprised at, you know, the, the subtle differences that some might think is actually compounds and makes a huge impact. And then, you know, same with our wild-caught salmon, because it's wild-caught, you don't have to deal with any of like the antibiotics from farm-raised salmon. There's a lot of different um, benefits that come from choosing these more sustainable sourcing methods. So, yeah. And one of the things I was most surprised to see um, when we had Tina Owens on from um, Green America and, uh, and talking about regenerative agriculture, she mentioned that uh, if you're eating a more nutrient dense food, you will feel fuller with fewer calories. So there's a satiety benefit to it, you know, in terms of, to your example of, you know, grass-fed beef liver versus non-grass-fed beef liver, you probably could eat the same amount and you might feel less full with the non-grass-fed um, beef. And when you think about that, that translates into additional health benefits because, you know, we hear a lot with the, you know, these raw, gently cooked, freeze-dried diets. I think the farmer's dog does a great job messaging it, but it, it's not exclusive to them. You see weight loss benefits because you're you or your pet, if you're eating more nutrient dense foods, are able to eat less and feel full, um, and then that contributes to longevity benefits. So I think I think it, you know, it, it's a hopefully a, a big change that is is going to you know sweep the industry. Um, I think it I think it's really neat to see. Did you guys have any challenges, you know, in in getting your sourcing relationships set up? How how would you describe that? Well. Yeah, uh, we did <laughs> as any small company, you know, you don't really have the the buying power as some of the more established companies and our company is bootstrapped. We don't have any funding. Um, so it obviously puts you in a different uh, category in terms of like what you can afford. So there's a hundred percent some challenges with starting and being able to find the right sourcing connections that have minimum order quantities that are reasonable for you um, as a small business is 
definitely a challenge I would recommend for anybody who wants to get into the pet space or any space in general uh, to go to trade shows like Global, like Super Zoo. We actually walked our first time going and I 100% recommend it. It gave us a great opportunity to just talk to different people in the industry to help with sourcing as well. There are some um, companies that booth there and then really just making connections with other people and being able to find the right uh, partnerships for you as a small business. I 100% recommend it. I think it makes a huge difference to be able to get in front of them. Um, cold calling and cold emailing is very difficult. I think I I wish I had a stat of the percentage of responses that you can get from that, but that's kind of where you have to start, right? So being able to go in person and getting in front of that person and asking the questions you need and being able to negotiate in person is highly valuable, which is why I would say it's a great opportunity for anybody who wants to launch a business is to go to those trade shows because you're going to make connections that are going to help you in the long run with that. Yeah. And, and I can say from experience, uh, you know, working in market research that, you know, I tell all the analysts on our team that if they're doing above 5% on responses to cold email and, and cold phone outreach, they are, they're, they're doing great. Um, so yeah, definitely being able to, to get, you know, make connections in person, I, I can 100% uh, agree with. Now, Julie, I know we talked, um, you know, one of the things you guys are really excited about right now and, and very uh, appropriate to discuss, given that Halloween's just around the corner, is uh, your new freeze-dried pumpkin treat. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. That's, uh, uh, you know, I, I have used pumpkin uh, myself uh, with peony in the past as, you know, kind of a, a fiber booster and to, and to help with uh anal gland expression, um, but it was very difficult to find um, non-canned pumpkin product. Um, so talk to, did you guys just see a market need or what, what was the uh, the impetus for launching that? Yeah, uh, super happy to talk about our, our product. So it's USDA organic freeze-dried pumpkin. Um, it's basically a easier and more convenient alternative to the pumpkin puree. I know that I typically, when Kai was having any GI upset, I would go to the grocery store, pick up the canned pumpkin, open it up and kind of like scoop it into his bowl. It gets very messy. You need the can opener, the spoon, and then you have to clean over the bowl afterwards because otherwise it gets all crusty. And if your dog is anything like Kai, he will get the pumpkin puree like on the floor, baseboards, walls, like he is not a very clean pub. Um, so it's definitely a very cumbersome and hassle process. Um, the other alternatives in the markets that we were aware of were just like the powders where you would have to put it in and kind of mix it with water and put it together like yep. that, which um, is a little bit better than pumpkin puree, but still pretty cumbersome and messy. So basically, our inspiration was to have that mess-free alternative, um, which is great because our treats essentially have all of the benefits of pumpkin puree that we usually go towards in a mess-free, uh, convenient alternative. So being able to use it in times of diarrhea, constipation, and it is cut in these convenient cube-shaped 
uh, form. So it's really great as a a treat alternative as well. It is very versatile. It's only 0.2 calories per treat. So a lot of trainers have given us great feedback on being able to essentially train all day long without having to break the bank in terms of calories. Um, That's a good point. really love it too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, it, you, as you were saying it, I was like, that that would be another. Do you see, is there any, you know, drawback to over-treating with pumpkin and and putting, you know, if you did use it as a training treat all day, would you potentially see any uh, adverse effects from too much fiber or? I mean, with humans as well, of course, there's a limit where it is too much. I would say in our treats, it's very difficult just because of the sizing of it you shouldn't have any issues unless you're going through like a few bags a day every single day or something like that um and with all fiber uh you want to make sure that your your pup or cat has access to water so that they can digest it down properly I feel like that's really just the key to it but no it's very difficult to get to the point where you're actually causing that constipation or GI upset from um, the pumpkin. And if anything, I would say that, you know, it's actually more portion control than the pumpkin puree alternative, because that's just kind of like scoopfuls where I, at least personally, I just kind of like scooped and saw, oh, that looks pretty good and kind of feeding it to Kai. But with the treats, it's actually easier because they're shaped in little cubes too. So I would say that there's, very, very little uh, risk to our treats personally, unless you kind of go crazy with it. So, okay, well, cool, and, and you know, and obviously, you know, a fun treat for people to give at Halloween. But um, the health benefits of pumpkin are are there year round. Um, you know, I, I know uh, earlier uh, when we first got Peony, she she definitely had issues with, you know, naturally expressing her anal glands. And and that was what the vet said is, you know, just increase that fiber count, add pumpkin to the diet. And, um, but, you know, uh, thankfully she, she grew out of it. Cause I know it was either last year or the year before there was that like nationwide pumpkin shortage and you couldn't find pumpkin <laughs> anywhere. So, yeah. um, well, that's and, what's interesting is that that actually kind of ties in with just what we were talking about with the challenges of, you know, the brand and starting up pumpkin is a very interesting ingredient to source, because if you think about it, it really is like a seasonal produce. <laughs> they only harvest it in the fall. So in terms of logistics around that, you do have to be able to kind of order for the year around pumpkin. It's not like you can get pumpkin in the middle of the summertime when you want it. So you do have to be a little bit careful around that, which to your point with the shortage, it it can be a little bit difficult because it isn't a crop that can produce year long. And then on top Mm. of that, we wanted to make sure it was organic. We wanted to make sure it was grown in the US. So it really does narrow it down on that front. Um, But we're really excited to have it. And to your point, I think it's going to be super exciting in the fall time, even though it's a year-long product. I feel like as pet parents, we like to buy for our pets what we are kind of into in that period. So with pumpkin spice latte season and all things fall kind of coming out, it just makes it so much more exciting to be able to have your pumpkin pie and to feed your pet pumpkin as well. Um, And kind of pro tip our treats, since they are like 
organic, single ingredient. I've actually like taste, we were taste testing it ourselves. Wow. <laughs> just single ingredients. So um, yeah. we kind of figuring out the sourcing, figuring out the treat, we would just try them ourselves and kind of see how we liked it. So it actually doesn't taste that bad. So I've actually crushed it into my latte before for like a pumpkin latte kind of thing. Added some cinnamon. So neat. Neat. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it's, I don't know that I'd eat freeze-dried salmon uh, that <laughs> no. I was going to give my dog, but freeze-dried pumpkin, you know, that's, you can probably go there. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And Julie, where, you know, I know you mentioned you guys have had some exciting new partnerships lately. I don't know how much you can talk about those, but where can, can folks find, um, your treats and, and food if they want to get them? Yeah, so we are online. Um, we do have our own website, www.abettertreat.com. We also have some really great retail partners. Um, on our website, you'll be able to see the full list of stores so you can kind of figure out what uh, store is near you. But I would say majority of the concentration is in California, um, just because that's where we started from. That's kind of our community. So I think that community also really... Uh, enjoys the higher quality sourcing they kind of understand how beneficial that can be so we do have a lot of stores in that area and then where I'm at in Texas as well we were a startup too so we were door to door you know going to stores trying to see if they want to pick up our products so you might see a lot of concentration more so towards California and Texas for that reason so any of us on the east coast uh do you have plans to uh get distribution out this way? Absolutely. That is our plan for next year. We're kind of focusing on West Coast so that we can, you know, target our um, our resources to one region. But we do want to gravitate towards the East Coast next year. We do, we tend to do very well in like larger metropolitan cities and like the coast. So East Coast is next. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll be on the lookout for it. And, um, you know, uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been awesome having you on the show. Um, any parting uh, thoughts, words of wisdom uh, you want to leave for the audience? Um, I mean, I guess the, I think we covered quite a bit, but I, I just am really excited about the consumer demand for higher quality products. I feel like pet parents nowadays are becoming more and more educated about making those better choices. Um, and, you know, especially when talking about dog food and kibble, as we were saying, it, it can be a little bit difficult because of what historically uh, bigger, older brands have put into their kibble, kind of those fillers, the not so great ingredients. And I think as a consumer, it can be really difficult because when you look at it side by side, you can't really see what went into that kibble product. And that's kind of the biggest differentiator, I feel like, from human food, from pet food, because human food, even though it's processed, you kind of have an idea of what went in. Dog food, you really don't. Um, and so hopefully with our product, it kind of adds a little bit more transparency in terms of the quality that is being put in there. Um, so while we do love being a recognizable difference with our dog food, we really did invest quite a bit into making sure that 
the kibble also stood up to the test in terms of nutrient profile and quality. So, yeah, no, I, th I think that that's a great point that you raise. Um, it, you know, it, and that's one of our big goals here on pet working is, 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 you know, just to help, um, you know, provide, uh, tips to make people, you know, more responsible pet parents, um, more responsible and encourage responsible pet ownership. And, um, there's so many things that play into that, but, um, you know, I, I think it is hard for people to find a resource, uh, to go to for, for everything. Um, you know, you have your health needs, your nutrition needs, your training behavioral needs. Um, so we try to touch on all of that here and, um, you know, at, at least, uh, give people another resource that they can go to, um, in, in being responsible pet parents. So Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, everyone, Julie Chen, uh, had a strategy at a better treat. Um, and, be on the lookout as Halloween comes up um, and year round for their uh, their new pumpkin treats as, as well as their their other products. Julie, thanks so much for joining us on Pet Working. Um, and everybody else, we'll look forward to seeing you soon for uh, another episode in the near future. Have a great day. Working is presented by Maya Strategy Group, a leading market research and strategy consulting firm, helping clients in the pet care and animal health industries navigate strategic challenges for almost two decades.